Hey everyone, my name is Sally Cardi and I am the Administrative Director for the Masters of Environmental Studies and the Masters of Applied Geosciences Professional Masters Programs here at the University of Pennsylvania. We're doing a series of podcasts to talk about the environmental hot topics and how they're being handled globally, work we're doing locally in ways that our faculty, alumni and current students are involved. Uh, today, I'm delighted to have with me Lisa Kuzhuk and Alison Fetman. Hello, thank you for coming. Hello, thanks. Uh, Lisa's the director of the Bird Conservation Program at the Willstown Conservation Trust in Chester County. As a federally licensed bird bander, she manages the Rushton Woods Bird Banding Station, which includes a migratory passerine program, a MAPS monitoring avian productivity and survivorship program, and a northern saw wet owl research program. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to pronounce. Yes, it's a lot. It's a lot of hours in the field. <laughs> in addition to her research and education initiatives at WCT, Lisa is an adjunct professor at the University of Pennsylvania in the Graduate Program of Environmental Science and frequently serves as a guest lecturer for local universities, garden clubs, and nonprofit organization. Lisa has a Master in Environmental Studies from the University of Pennsylvania and was presented with the Rosalie Edge Conservation Award by the Delaware Valley Ornithological Club in 2011 for her work in bird conservation. All right, that is a lot to say. Lisa, I'm so excited to have you with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I want to also introduce Alison Fetterman, who joined the Trust in 2016 as a bird conservation associate. She was given the additional responsibility of Pennsylvania Modus Project Manager in 2017 in January. Alison's been working as a bird banding intern at the Trust since 2013 and brings the Trust seven years experience in bird monitoring methods after working at Point Blue, a leading conservation science organization based in California. In 2016, Allison also earned her Master's of Environmental Studies with a concentration in environmental biology from the University of Pennsylvania. She enjoys spending her spare time with her husband, Andy, and two children, Gus and Etta, birding, hiking, and playing in the frog pond in their remote backyard in Boyertown, Pennsylvania. Hi, Allison. how are you? Hi, Sally. Again, I'm so happy you're here, thank you. Um, so I think I'm just going to kick off with our first question, which is why birds? Now that's a great question, and I was asked that a few years ago when they were filming a video uh, for our farm program, which is our field site, and asking why birds is asking why parents, or why, and why water? <laughs> uh, so I couldn't answer it at the moment because it was such a large question to put my head around, and since then I have figured out how to answer it. So. Um, you know, I just want to start out by saying uh, both Allison and I are, are fundamentally driven by this concept that Thomas Lovejoy, the godfather of biodiversity, once proclaimed, uh, if you take care of birds, you take care of most of the environmental problems in the world. And so that's really the big why birds. But if you want to get into the nitty gritty, um, First of all, they've survived over 150 million years. They're flying dinosaurs. Um, they bridge the gap between the natural world and our human world, especially in the urban environments. Uh, you have peregrine falcons nesting at City Hall. You have red-tailed red -tailed hawks eating squirrels right outside the, uh, the Hayden Hall. Um, so they, they are everywhere. They, their vast scale of their presence on Earth is, is enormous. They live in Antarctica, they live in, in habitats that cannot be, you know, um, 
cannot be occupied by other species, and yet they're common in, in habitats that humans also occupy. Uh, to survive so many different habitats, the world's 10,000 species uh, have evolved to, to an incredible diversity of life forms, right? You have sizes such as an ostrich, and you go down to as small as a hummingbird. Uh, different beak sizes, all of their forms are, are evolved to uh, take advantage of the niche where they live and where they survive. Um, and what matches these, these, these beautiful colors that they display, these different forms, is the variation in song. They have a complex language, which is audible to most of us. We can all relate to bird songs, whether that's a mockingbird at five in the morning that you might not want to hear, <laughs> or uh, the, the beautiful warble, warbler uh, songs that we hear in the woodlands surrounding Philadelphia. Um, and then the other thing that I think is so amazing about birds is the fact that they connect us to other parts of the world because they tra most species travel uh, during their lifespan. They migrate to southern climates in the winter and they migrate back for their breeding seasons and they stop over in different sites on the way. So they connect us to other countries. They don't know borders um, they, and they're, they're in so many different areas. Um, they fly. That's pretty cool. Uh, and and they are easy for everyone to observe. And I think that's really the key, is that they're so easy to observe that they can resonate with a lot of different people. Uh, would it be fair to say that you could use birds as environmental indicators? That Yes, definitely fair. And I, I believe Allison would like to say a few words about that. Yeah, yeah it, that's because they're abundant and because we love birds, people love birds and we can we can observe them easily. They move, they're brightly colored. Everything Lisa just mentioned makes them great indicators. Uh, well, it makes them easy to study. And they're great indicators because they are so dependent on certain habitat types, habitat structures, and their food types, that they are sensitive to changes. And we can measure those changes because of their abundance. We can see that um, year-round in their annual life cycle. There are um, 350 species of migratory birds in North America, Cornell, according to Cornell, and 250 of those species are neotropical migrants. So measuring them across their annual life cycle um, allows us to further see them as environmental indicators and the changes that is happening with their population sizes and their um, diversity. So if there's a change in their population size or in the diversity of the birds in a certain environment or in a certain region, we can look at, we, we know there's something changing. So to uh, look at birds in this capacity, you would then be able to address research and conservation as it relates to birds? Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to let Allison talk about our MODIS project, but uh, before she does, you know, an example of what's happening in today's world is, is the decline in the insect populations. Um, and this is one very startling uh, observation that's been documented, especially in Germany, where uh, insects populations have been decreasing by almost 75%. And the aerial insectivores, the, those species in the U.S., have, have been dropping dramatically. And if insects are the basis of the food web and birds are responding, birds will respond to that, that means something is going on in the ecosystem, whether it's pesticides, um, pollutants, that sort of thing. So this is another way that they indicate problems. 
Um, and, and yes, we, we know a lot of what's happening to birds, some of the challenges they face, which, which Allison could bring up, but we also know that we have to do something about it quickly. Right, so we know the number one cause of bird population declines is habitat loss. And it's habitat loss in their breeding grounds, in their wintering grounds, and everywhere else because they everywhere birds are breeding and everywhere birds are stopping over during their migration. So the habitat loss is, is worldwide and it affects all populations. But they're also affected by cats. Outdoor cats are um, killing a lot of birds. Uh, the chemicals that Lisa mentioned and um, collisions in cities. It's window collisions. There's tower collisions. There's no lights. For the birds are attracted to lights so they can hit um, towers that have too bright of lights on them. They're starting to look at the frequency of uh, flashing lights and they've determined which frequency um, of the blinking will attract less birds and it also saves on power. It was a win-win study. <laughs> it was... I think it's important to think about because uh, it's a discussion to have with architects and people planning for the future and how to design these high-rise buildings that don't make them attractive to birds. Would that be correct? Yes, that would be correct. I mean, light pollution is a big item and the fact that birds are hitting so many windows just draws attention that light pollution, again, is also impacting insects and other species. It's not just birds, but they're the easiest to see when you find dead birds at the bottom of the street. Yeah. Um, Alison, I've seen you climbing on top of the David Rittenhouse labs a bunch of times, and it's not an easy trek, and there's a scary ladder. And I think it's because you've been putting up your modus tower. Would you care to talk about that some? Yes. So the Green Fund allowed us to put up a MODIS receiver station here in Philadelphia on the DRL building. The um, MODIS receiving station is an automated radio telemetry system that uh, started by Bird Studies Canada and it works. These stations are listening for a certain frequency and any researcher anywhere in the world puts on a certain nanotag um, to any flying organism as Birds, bats, insects, dragonflies, and butterflies have all been tagged, and uh, all these tags work, uh, they transmit one frequency, and they're identified by unique signal burst. So any tag that um, comes in the range of any receiving station in the U.S. or South America or wherever there is a receiving station set up will be detected by these stations and we can track where the birds are migrating through if there's a bird if they're staying in a certain habitat or they're staying in a certain region for a longer period of time uh, uses of the land and landscape connectivity really so you're trying to install as many modus towers possible I imagine so that uh, you have a better sense of tracking the birds nationwide internationally yeah, it, yeah at all of those things it's it's amazing how many data points are collected by this new technology um, bird banding has been going on for over 80 years and there's we've in North America have received about 64 million data points or collected them in uh, MODIS started in 2013 and is already at 350 million data points so that enormous amount of data captured very quickly can make can allow us to make 
uh, much faster decisions when it comes to conservation. Um, this has impacted a lot of potential wind turbine projects that are in major bird corridors. This uh, also is, is alerting us to things that are going places that they didn't know birds were congregating in high numbers that were slated for development have, have since changed because of this data. So it's been very effective and a lot of research, a lot of bird banners are embracing this technology. So it seems that we have a lot of research and a lot of information, but how do we take action? That's that's the challenge, Sally. That's what we're working on every day. I mean, we, we hope that we can collect this data on various species and get it into the hands of policymakers, um, land managers, public, just, just the general public um, to create awareness of what how their actions are impacting the environment around them. I mean, you've recently read about all the plastic debris in the oceans and how the seabirds are eating a lot of the straws and, and that's impacting their uh, population. So every cause has an effect and, and it, this is just a way to illustrate this in a much uh, easier way. And, and I have to mention that we are very fortunate to have created this MODIS collaboration with Scott Widensall from Project Alnet and the Ned Smith Center for Art and Science, and David Brinker also from Project Alnet, uh, and Luke DeGroot from Powder Mill Avian Research Center. And also, uh, this project would be nothing without Bird Studies Canada and the help of Stu McKenzie and many of his uh, co-workers. If I just wanted to track the process and the MODIS information, is there a website that I could go to? Yes, modus.org uh, is um, where you can go. Anyone can access all the data that is collected anytime. Tag data from the organism or data that is uh, uploaded from the receiver station goes directly to Bird Studies Canada. And within 24 hours of uploading your data to them, you can access the website and see anything that has been detected at any station you can search on the website for a species if you want to look at what a species if somebody's looking at researching a species and where those birds have been detected where their movements are occurring and you can look at specific stations someone can go to modus.org look up projects where the northeast modus collaboration that's our title of our project and you can look at all of our receiver stations we have one called pen drl you can click on that and just look at specifically what has been detected at that and then you can also you can get deeper and deeper it's a wormhole every time you go to the website but you can get deeper and you can pick a specific bird at a receiver station and you can look at a map and you'll get this great animated map of where anywhere else this bird has been detected and the data was uploaded so you can see that there was there's one in southeast Pennsylvania that I just looked at and there's a Dunlin that was detected there and I, I clicked on their map and I went in and I saw that it was it detected uh, it was banded by Larry Niles in the Delaware Bay and then detected at their stations and then moved up to one of ours in southeast PA and then I believe it was again detected in James Bay in Ontario which is a hot spot for migratory shorebirds. Is it a complicated process if somebody wanted to have a modus tower on their building? Would that, it, it, can you go to the website, I guess, and contact you and say, I'm interested and make it happen from there? Yeah, the best, it's, it, this is a very collaborative project and our Northeast Modus collaboration is handling the mid-Atlantic states 
Uh, so if you're located in the Mid-Atlantic, you'd probably want to contact us. But if uh, you know if you're in the western part of the United States or Midwestern, Bird Studies Canada is is getting them off the ground, so to speak. So um, yeah. You could do that, and they would probably put you in touch with us, since we are the, I think we're now the ninth largest collaborator in the network. Like the touchstone, so you could always triage. Correct. And the average cost is about $5,000 per tower, all, and and then we can teach them how to download their data. Um, I always enjoy seeing you both on campus, and uh, you both... uh, teach for us and co-teach for us and lecture for us and uh, we really appreciate having you here today thank you so much thank you thanks for having us Sally